Welcome everybody to All About Windows Phone Insight Podcast 101 and recording this on Tuesday the 17th of June 2014. I'm Steve Litchfield. With me I have... Rafe Blanford. Thank you, Steve. Yeah, here to talk about Windows Phone and all that's been happening in the last seven days. <laughs> and uh, I guess I should start by asking, really, where, where's the review Lumia 930 I was promised? Uh, I thought you might ask me about this, Steve. I, I can say that it's not sitting on my desk or anything like that. Uh, when Nokia announced this, and obviously it's now Microsoft, uh, they said that it would be available in early summer. And I kind of think a June date was mentioned in passing, but as often happens, there was no absolute definitive answers to when it would become available. Of course, this is effectively the world version of the Lumia icon. So it's not a completely new device, but we have now seen from a couple of online retailers and a couple of mentions from uh, social channels that the pre-orders and sort of order availability is coming in mid-July. So perhaps a few weeks later than people were expecting, but probably within that time frame of early summer. But um, it is a little bit later than we said on an earlier podcast. So you're just going to have to be patient for a few more weeks. I'm sure it's something we're going to talk about quite a bit. Um, but as I said, it's been available as the Lumia icon for a while. There are obviously some differences in terms of you know, the cellular radio it supports. Um, I think there may be a you know a bit of a discussion around this because there are some changes from the earlier flagships that don't entirely meet with my approval. The most obvious one uh, being that there's no glance screen support because of the change in the display technology used. And that's something I've really, really enjoyed using on other devices. Um, there's also the question of the design. It's actually a bit of a departure from what we've had before. Uh, I think particularly in the green and orange colours, which is on trend, I'm told, by uh, Microsoft and Nokia, sort of with higher consumer preference in 2014 than Cyan and Yellow had in 2013. But looking forward to getting our hands on it, and I'm particularly looking forward to getting Steve's view on kind of this latest flagship. It's not going to be a replacement for his beloved 1020, but it has got the same camera modulus, the 1520, and presumably the team's had a chance to work on that and would have tweaked that a little bit. Indeed, one of the things that uh, Nokia's imaging team has come out and said that uh, Lumia Cyan and the, this was sort of debut on the 930, of course, that camera will have better low light performance and sort of some better performance around. And we've talked a bit before about living images in the previous podcast and other imaging enhancements coming. And it'll be your first chance to try those out kind of in a real world device on a Windows Phone 8.1 device. And um, we talked about the 630 last week, but I think there's always going to be more excitement about a high end device, Steve. <laughs> Absolutely. And of course, I'm, I'm still kind of looking forward to a 1020 successor, hopefully sometime in the autumn. But as ever, <laughs> I suspect that the Microsoft buyout may may just delay things very slightly. So I might have to be patient there. Um, to, uh, talking about being patient, we're still waiting for the uh, uh, Windows Phone 8.1 over-the-air rollout to existing devices. Uh, we did see some leaks on the internet, um, some charts, uh, leaked from, from EV leaks, uh, pointing towards a late June, early July rollout, starting with the 1520 and the 1020, and then rolling out to other devices after that, which kind of sounds about right, Rafe. We, we, about an hour or two after we recorded the last podcast, uh, we had another update, the Windows Phone 8.1 developer preview. Nothing great, great shakes in terms of change logs, but it was another update. And it, you kind of get the feeling that they're, they're, they're finalizing it now, they're honing it. It really, it really is done and dusted, and that sort of late June, early July sounds about right. It does, and it kind of matches with the time frame of what happened you know, for previous releases, with there being a couple of months between it sort of getting announced and then becoming available on early devices. And if you think that the, the 630 started shipping 
Well, I guess just over a month ago now. And, you know, if we say, um, you know, late June, it's going to be getting on for a couple of months. Um, of course, as with the other software updates, it's going to become available for a few devices, first of all. So you've mentioned them there. And that will also apply to some of the operator variants as well, you know, how fast it can get through testing and that kind of thing. And I suspect some of the older devices will have to wait considerably longer, maybe even a couple of more months. And I've never had an entirely satisfactory answer for why this happens. I mean, I get the fact that it does take a while to process all of these, but I think actually sometimes that can be a bit of an artificial constraint. And I think, you know, with the caveat that actually Microsoft has done a really good job delivering the Windows Phone 8.1 developer preview program, there's still room for improvement in the update of existing devices. Now, clearly there are differences between them and you can sort of accept that there will be a bit of a, a time lag. But last time, I think it took, you know, almost two, three months to get all the devices onto the kind of the latest update. Now, this is a bigger update, so one wonders whether it's going to take a bit longer. But in an ideal world, I'd like to see it come down to a month period I think it's probably unrealistic to expect it to be as in the iPhone world where it all arrives on one day. But when you've just got a relatively small number of devices to deal with, that's, that's a bit easier, particularly, you know, also the range, obviously, right from the low end up to the high end devices. Uh, but we'll be reporting on that as soon as it happens. And of course, you know, the update process should be reasonably smooth. Certainly our experience of the developer preview and previous updates would suggest that. Um, so. It'll be great to be able to talk about Windows Phone 8.1 and not go with the caveat that it's only available through the developer preview program, which we've sound a bit like a broken record in the last few podcasts. <laughs> Many people have said we sound like a broken record for the last few years, right? Well, but... yeah, it, it does, and I'm apologising about what Nokia's <laughs> done or the failings of Windows Phone, but I think that's probably a hazard of running and talking on a podcast about the yeah. uh, platform that... You know, is very clearly in third place and has done a lot of catching up in the last few years. I did see a, a great article or editorial uh, that CJ, one of our, our friends, wrote on the site, and actually Steve's linked to it in one of the recent Flow articles about how Windows Phone 8.1 closes the gap. Now, we've talked about that, and we're probably a bit biased if we're quite honest in terms of you know, having a view on this kind of thing. But it's going to be really interesting to see the more general reaction to Windows Phone 8.1. And I'm not talking about sort of the media that's probably quite entrenched into its various positions. And people who are already using one platform are familiar with that. The Pareto principle kind of dictates that, you know, if they try something else or look at something else, they're not going to like it as much, you know, uh, familiarity doesn't uh, breed contempt it actually breeds sort of sense of satisfaction i'm happy with it i know how it all works but for new users you know when there's a choice i think windows phone 8.1 there's going to be less feature envy when they look at android or ios even if i I think it's fair to say there's still going to be a certain amount of app envy going on even if that situation does improve on a week-by-week basis yeah yeah. Uh, moving on, um, Micromax, we're seeing this whole flood of new Windows phones announced over, certainly over in Asia. Micromax, which I believe is an Indian manufacturer, has announced at least the Canvas Win W121, the Canvas Win W092, a 5-inch and a 4-inch Windows Phone 8.1 device, looking fairly generic, Rafe, I have to say, from the photographs. In fact, one of the photographs that was uh, kind of a <laughs> put, put forward to the press. Actually, has Android control icons. I'm rather showing that they've basically taken their Android hardware and retrofitted it with Windows Phone. But I, I guess the, the more the merrier, and yet more manufacturers living on the Windows Phone 8.1 train. 
Yeah, I think that's right. I mean, it's pretty shocking slip up by the marketing department. Um, and this is something that came through the Windows phone blog. We've seen a whole bunch of these uh, phones get talked about and announced. We mentioned some on the previous podcast. There's actually some more uh, kind of smartphones semi-announced out there, all running Windows phone. Uh, kind of have to wait a little bit to see this settle down to see where they become available. I think in the case of Micromax, it'll almost certainly be the Indian market. It may be that a couple of operators have got them in mind, or it may just be selling them through, you know, shop. One thing to bear in mind about the Indian market, while there is a you know, obviously a relatively strong operator presence, there's also quite a strong, uh, if you like, a post-operator market where people will buy devices directly, either from small shops or from online retailers and sort of put a SIM card in and use them. Uh, for those in Western Europe, and particularly in the US, that kind of model doesn't happen very often. Amongst phone geeks, it's um, admittedly much more common. So it'd be interesting to see whether Windows Phone can get any traction in that way. I mean, part of me goes, you know, why would you buy one of those devices when there's something kind of more rounded and certainly not with that, uh, you know, ported over from an Android device available in the, you know, the nature of something like the Lumia 630 and presumably forthcoming devices as well. But it's where cost really does come into it. And also, obviously, you are going to have a bit of variation in specs, you know, a five inch screen size that might be really attractive to someone. Uh, but more, more than anything else, it's going to be availability and cost. And in general, you can expect these devices to undercut the price of the equivalent uh, Lumia device just because of the economies of scale or rather kind of the logistics under which these companies operate. While they can't necessarily match the economies of scale in terms of uh, production numbers, they probably do have lower costs in terms of distribution, in terms of the marketing spend and things like that. And that's, you know, that the economies of scale have been enabled by what we mentioned last week, which again is the reference designs from Qualcomm and no license fee from Microsoft. Um, I'm kind of curious to actually try one of the two of these devices. We're going to try and get in touch with the manufacturers and see if we can borrow some uh, for review purposes. Uh, that might be tricky, so we might have to rely on some of our audience to feed us back some information. But yeah, I, 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 you know, part of me wants to go. It's not terribly interesting, but you're you're right, Stephen. One sense, the more the merrier. And these companies, you know, don't operate just at a whim to launch a device like this. They would have investigated the market, they'd have done their research to work out whether it's worthwhile than doing it. Now, partly it will be experimental, and there's no guarantees here, but they will launch the phones because there's demand for them. And I think that, again, goes back to Windows Phone finding success in the low end last year. And Nokia proved that market with devices like the 520. But also it's about, you know, operators and to a certain extent users wanting wanting a choice. Um, and if you can launch a Windows Phone device off the back of your Android efforts, in other words, the kind of additive effort or the additive spend to create these devices isn't very much. It makes good business sense to, at the very least, experiment. We'll just have to see where the market goes. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, talking of not very interesting, I think uh, Rovio's lost its way, Rafe. Um, we did see uh, the, the launch during the week of uh, Angry Birds Epic, which basically is a combat-based RPG. <laughs> Quite well. It's all rather underwhelming as well. I, I, I tried it for about 10 minutes and completely lost interest. We also had Angry Birds Go about six months ago, which is a really rather poor freemium um, Angry Birds themed racer. And apparently they've now launched or announced the intention to launch Angry Birds Transformers or something along those lines. I thought Transformers itself was a mashup. This is all getting incredibly messy. Why can't we just have irate avians flinging them about the, themselves around the sky? <laughs> it's a, a good question. This is uh, an example of one of those problems inherent, I think, with mobile gaming in that you have these uh, one-hit wonders and it's, it, 
it's a bit of an exaggeration to say that in the case of Rovio, because they actually had a series of the Angry Bird games that did really well. But essentially, you know, the core success was around that one type of game. What they did do really successfully was extend the brand into other areas. If you've ever been to Finland, which I guess a lot of the listeners haven't been, they will actually see Angry Birds branded stuff everywhere in terms of sweets and soft drinks, and there's even play areas. I think most people will be aware of things like the Angry Birds cookbook, the collaboration that they've done with National Geographic around sort of science and space type books, uh, but also, you know, the T-shirts, the soft toys. So uh, it may be being a little harsh on Rovio to say that they're on, on the down, but certainly I don't think they have this quite the same download or engagement numbers that they did when uh, Angry Birds uh, hype and phenomenon was at its height. And, and like you, I get a little bit skeptical about kind of extending the franchise into other gaming areas. You know, RPG, it's an acquired taste, if you like it. And it's kind of turn based in that you basically have different characters and they have different powers and weapons and kind of fighting moves. And turn by turn, you just decide what they're going to do and try and defeat the pigs. And so, you know, the core story is, I guess, the same as Angry Birds, but very, very different style of gameplay, just as Angry Birds Go was basically a, a Mario Kart version or a racing game version of Angry Birds, it, the, the affection doesn't transfer in quite the same way, just because that whole idea of flinging birds on a parabolic arc at pigs and destroying scenery, that's what, what appealed. Um, the fact it was you know, augmented and supported by some clever and, you know, I'd guess, a joyful uh, characters that you had an emotional connection with doesn't necessarily mean that it will always translate well. But I do think Robo have done it much better than some other you know, game producing, you know, you can look at the same things with things like uh, Fruit Ninja or, I guess, uh, Candy Crush, some of those other games that have sort of really made it big. Rovo is one of the ones that has made a real effort to extend it elsewhere. And um, don't get us wrong, you know, these these game titles are still generating millions of downloads and generating, I imagine, significant revenue. Uh, but if you look at the bottom line of their business, the revenue uh, projections are not as healthy as you might have assumed but it's it's typical of these mobile gaming businesses which have quite spiky success, which is why I think traditional businesses have been wary of sort of doing big partnerships with them or sort of looking at this. And you know, if you're a, a venture capitalist, you have to wonder about you know, how do you get your return out of something like this? And because as a consumer, we don't care. You know, you'll just go on to whatever the next hit game is. And uh, Rovio have have done well to extend it by doing a film, by doing cartoons, by doing film tie-ins. It, it does feel like there's a real danger of overextension here, though. And uh, perhaps Angry Birds Epic is kind of the, not not the nerd in the coffin, but it's certainly um, uh, a story on their downward spiral, perhaps. Uh, I guess you're probably a little more sceptical than me here, Steve, because um, I, I know you're not a fan of RPG. <laughs> well, in, oh, there's also Angry Birds uh, Tour Golf and Angry Birds Snooker, which are also apparently scheduled for 2015. So, and I'm just kidding. <laughs> the sort of thing Rovio seemed likely to do, and I remain sceptical. I think you should have a, a, a good core game, have a complete hit with it, and then have something totally different. It's also a great game and win people over by having a great game, not by trying to sort of create links between the different titles. But anyway. It's, it's easier on. said than done. I mean, it's probably worth reminding people that before they had their hit game with uh, Angry Birds, Rovio produced, I think, something in the order of 50 to 60 other mobile games. And those with long memories will remember things like Bounce back on the Symbian devices and other Rovio titles, which 
you know, I enjoy playing, but obviously did enjoy, enjoy the same popular attention and download numbers as the Angry Birds series. So it's only natural that they want to extend their, their existing franchise because it's easier doing that. But, um, you know, they have tried to you know, create new franchises and they've been publishing on other people's behalf. Juice Cubes is a, which is a pretty popular game is another example of that. Um, and as I say, it is all relative here. I mean, I think a lot of people would love to be in Rovio's position. And it's not like they're going to fail anytime soon. But there, there is certainly a, a, a what's next question for them. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Let's moving on. Uh, the Lumia 636 and 638 have gone live for China. Now, we, we're going to talk about the Lumia 630 in a moment, I, I hope, Rafe, when I'm going to be slightly controversial. But we should just mention these two new Lumias. They basically are the 630 with um, the Chinese version of 4G, which has some acronym I don't know off the top of my head. Um, we'd unlikely to ever see them in the West, and they probably wouldn't work anyway. Yeah, you're right. This is TDLTE, which is just, um, I guess you're calling it Chinese 4G is, is the accurate way to put it. It just means they've got slightly different cellular radios in them, both in terms of the way the actual technology works and the bands in which they operate. You can do this in China because, of course, it's such a, a massive market on its own far bigger than CDMA ever was, you know, in the America, for example. Uh, these are going to be available basically in the next week or so. Um, it's going to be on, in the case of the 638, it's going to be available on um, China Unicom, and uh, it's then going to be available on some of the other Chinese networks, uh, China Mobile, subsequent to that as well. Uh it's kind of a sign, I guess, that the Lumia 630 is one of the big push devices for Microsoft. As we kind of commented in the last podcast, that price point really does make it stand out. And uh, I guess that's kind of a slinky way to link into, should it really be called the 630? And uh, you've been using it and comparing it to the Lumia 625 on the site, Steve. So what, what was your basic thesis here? Well, my contention, like I'm, I'm rather lucky in having the review devices still around, including the 625. And I thought, well, hang on a minute. We've got the 630, and I've given it a fairly good, a fairly cautiously optimistic write-up with a few caveats. But hang on a minute. Last year's model, the 625, had a larger screen, higher specifications all round, and is now available much cheaper than the 630. Why on earth wouldn't people just... Go ahead and get last year's model, which is now being sold off. And let's just go through some of these specs, Ray, because this is um, contentious. The Lumia 625 has got a 4.7-inch screen without the virtual controls, so you don't lose any screen space for them. It's got a slightly lower screen resolution, but only by a few pixels. Um, we'll come to the CBD in a minute because that's a separate issue. It's, it's, a couple, it's 25 grams heavier. Okay, that's fair enough. Uh, it's got a 4G, which the 630 has only got 3G, certainly the worldwide model. The 625's got the ambient light sensor and the automatic brightness. It's got 1080p video recording. It's got an LED for camera flash and video light. It's got the front-facing camera. It's got the camera shutter button, and it's got a larger battery, and it's cheaper. So leaving CBD aside and screen reflectivity, surely the, the 625 has the uh, 630 completely and utterly outgunned. Well, I, I saw this story and I thought, mm, what's Steve been up to? I thought, this doesn't sound <laughs> quite right. I thought, panic, panic. I looked at your reasoning and I can completely see where the argument's coming from 
but I still think you're wrong, which is great because we can now have an argument on the <laughs> podcast about on, it. Then. So the 4G one, I think I have to give you, but I'll point out that the 635 is going to come along and that's the 4G variant of this. Now, it'll be interesting to see if there's much of a price difference, uh, but I don't really think we can count that against the, the 630 yet. Um, looking at some of the other areas, though, you kind of do have a point of the specification. You know, screen size is a good one. Um, you know, the screen technology, I actually think the 630 has the advantage here. And there's the capacity versus virtual key, very personal preference thing. But then you look at things like light sensor or you know, the video capture capability or the fact it's got the flash on the back of it, you know, the front facing camera. And you sort of go, actually, yeah, I kind of probably would prefer to have the uh, 625. And actually, then you go, you have to look at launch pricing and the 625 was more expensive when it first launched. And it's this problem that newer devices, particularly at the lower end of the market, always have in that, you know, they start off with what feels like premium pricing or rather it's launch pricing. And then over time, they kind of lose up to 50% of their value. That's kind of an extreme case. I mean, the 625, for example, was around the £150 price point and uh, that's now dropped. You can get one for about £80 85 90 pounds in the uk the 630 currently is retailing at about 100 pounds um, now in time i do expect the 630 to kind of drop below that 625 price but you know, man the shop doesn't really care about that they're looking at the two devices and you know they're not geeks comparing all the pricing they're kind of looking at these and say these devices are very similar why wouldn't i choose the 625 and uh, this is where steve has an absolute point but i would say it's a slightly unfair comparison when you're talking about a device that's, you know, been available for quite a while now versus a brand new one. Um, and so it's quite unusual, I suspect, to see both of those devices on an operator's shop shelf together. If you're looking in the SIM free market, absolutely. If you're looking to buy somewhere like Amazon, you will be comparing them directly. In most operator shops, you probably aren't going to see them one alongside each other. And actually one of the reasons it's so cheap in the UK, I suspect, is operators are, are kind of looking to get rid of uh, stock and so that's why i say it's a slightly unfair comparison but um, more than that i actually think there's a few technical reasons why you might choose a 630 over the 625 and i hinted at these in the last podcast when i talked about the extra chips and things it has inside it one of which is the ability to uh, project the screen using the mirror link technology sorry the mirror sync technology but also it's got the motion chip sensor so you can sort of record your footsteps without it being a drain on the battery um, but Steve will immediately come back and say, ah, but the 625 has a bigger battery. I'd say, yes, but it still can't record the steps. And so, you know, you are getting a more up-to-date kind of internal uh, hardware in terms of the chipset and the RAM, which I think will you know, give it a bit more future-proofing. I suspect, you know, the 630 is going to get the uh, next update for Windows, so the next big one, whereas the 625 might miss out just because it's on that slightly older technology. Honestly, there isn't a lot to choose between them in terms of performance. You know, there is actually, obviously, a different processor, but broadly, they're very similar. And kind of Windows Phone, which you know, has very similar performance across all the devices, kind of plays into that a little bit. So I thought it was a really interesting post, Steve, and I can see exactly where you're coming from, but I wonder if you're looking perhaps a bit too much from a kind of a top-end phone bar where you know specs is really important and you, know, you count every single thing. When you're in the shop, there is actually a difference between them. They certainly feel very different in the hand. And although you get the extra 0.2 inches on the 625, I think it feels like a much bigger device than the 630. 
I wouldn't say much bigger, but uh, just looking at those specs again, I, I, I wonder whether the 630's lower perceived specifications in terms of bullet points adds further weight to my theory from last week's podcast that in, in truth it was the 520 successor and just merely got renamed up to the 6 series because it, it feels in terms of all the things it's missing it just feels like it should be in the 5 series and it's not yeah i, I agree i mean it does feel like it's a, a obvious follow-on to the 520 but as i said last week uh, you know i don't think that's actually the case it's just the way we perceive phones because it's very natural for us to say one phone follows on from the other but of course you've got a moving market all the time and the truth is smartphones and windows phones a great example of this has gradually be getting cheaper in price and so the bottom end which has traditionally always been the five series for nokia you know is actually lower than it was a year ago as i suggested we'll kind of get the snapdragon 200 or you know processor around that will and that new low-end device will be built around that you know, the 630 is kind of the equivalent of the 520 from last year, but that no longer is the lowest of the low end. And equally well, if there was a replacement for the 625 or the 620, maybe that would be moving up into what would feel like, you know, replacement territory for the, the 720. I mean, you can actually kind of see this at the high end as well, where um, the 930, for example, feels, you know, like it's not quite so much a replacement for the the 925 it almost feels like it could be a replacement for the 820 it feels like there's a bit more room to push things a little bit more and it does make me wonder whether we've got you know, another big high-end flagship coming i mean there have been rumors about that for kind of some time now and it's kind of the 3d touch or the touch above the glass and there's kind of things been kicking around the room about that in the recent weeks um, so do we need to kind of reassess what we think of each of these, you know, number series representing, at least in terms of the Lumia family? Uh, perhaps, um, uh, I guess it's a, a good discussion for smartphone geeks to have down the pub. <laughs> we should also just mention, I mentioned a tease there, the, the display reflectivity. Now, though, yeah. this, the 630 is claimed to have on the spec sheet, official from Nokia, and I quote, clear black display. Now, I dug into this. I looked up the original white papers from Nokia, all their original launch documentation was back to the Nokia E7 2010. And clear black display was clearly defined as having um, opposite polarizers. They even did a Nokia Conversations post, and I've included the diagram in my, my article. We'll link to that in the show notes. Showing light getting that, that blocked in one, uh, showing light being circularly polar, polarized in one direction, and then it bounces back and gets um, polarized in the opposite direction. And then the two kind of cancel out, and you end up. Um, getting rid completely of reflections from exterior light. Um, now, this, on the Lumia 630, you've got what Nokia call a simple unidirectional lamination. Now, it does cut out some reflections in the same way that polarizing sunglasses do, and you do get some benefit outdoors. I've included several photographs on the, certainly in the 625 to 630 post I just did today. I'd included a comparison between the 625, which has no um, lamination whatsoever and the 630 and the 630 is definitely better from most angles but it's nowhere near the the contrast outdoors that we've seen on things like the Lumia 920 and the 1020 and the 925 which all have genuine CBD clear black display uh, you called it in last week's podcast CBD light and I think although Nokia aren't calling it CBD light they're still calling it CBD I think CBD light is probably a pretty good way to refer to it yes this is an interesting one I think this is a classic example of geeks versus marketing and uh, maybe the technology department too. If you look at this, yeah, there is clearly a difference. And 
we can kind of see this happening before and it happens when um, brands or companies use this kind of branding on technology terms to kind of explain it and to make it obvious what it does to the user because of course if they said all those long bits of techno mumbo jumbo that sue's just been talking about no one would really understand what it means and you know clear black is kind of a great way to say oh you're going to be able to see the blacks on the screen properly but there is obviously different ways of doing this and i refer to it as clear black light for a very definite reason in that it was kind of a, a cheaper way of trying to achieve the same result but what Steve's saying, having compared them side by side, is you haven't got the same result. Uh, and so in, immediately geeks kind of go up in arms and get horrified about this. But for a lot of consumers, all they'll sort of read into it is, oh, great, I'll get a slightly clearer screen or I'll get better blacks on the display. Now, you know, the, the, the tech in me wants to go, yes, but it's not the same. The sort of consumer in me goes, well, it doesn't matter. It's, it's still kind of signifying that it's better than standard. It kind of does put me in mind of the whole debate that went on around PureView. In the 1020 and the 808, we had the kind of the oversampling, and that was quite rightly held up as something really rather special. And then um, the 925 came along, or the um, the 920, optical, 920, yep. and the optical image stabilization, and that was kind of referred to as phase two of PureView, and quite rightly some peers said it's not the same thing it's something <laughs> different uh, and honestly they're right it w wasn't the same but PureView became kind of a hallmark of imaging quality in general um i think it's a shame because actually the whole PureView name actually meant something in and of itself in that it was giving a pure view because eight pixels became one but yeah. nonetheless that's kind of a, a good example of where this debate has happened and i think with cbd it's maybe um a more obvious or should I say a worse example of this? Uh, I don't know. I haven't been able to compare them uh, side by side like Steve. I'll take his word for it, absolutely, that it's not the same. Um, but is it still a helpful thing for consumers to have this kind of brand? I think so, because it says, you know, this screen is slightly better. It's more visible outside and whatever you want to read into it. Um, but it, it kind of makes me wonder, could they have come up with something else? I mean, CBD light wouldn't pass the marketing test because they say, well, why is it light? It's not as good. Therefore, we don't want to attach that kind of label to our product. But, um, you know, you could have done, you know, clear display or, or something. Of course, then you end up with loads of different marketing terms and it, it gets all confusing. So I can understand absolutely why there's an outcry about this, but I can also see it from the Microsoft point of view in that, you know, it's CBD and we define what it means and we get to tell you what it means, not it, it, and it's never meant to be around one particular technology. And if it was, we'd just tell you what that technology was. And it's certainly been true over the years, trying to find out exactly how CBD worked and what was involved in it. it hasn't exactly been very easy. And, and, and apart from a few uh, posts on conversations, Doc has never been terribly upfront about how everything works. And you know, nothing has changed here. You know, it took us a little while to get this information out. So. Uh, I'm perhaps not quite so horrified as Steve and some of the commenters on this, but that's perhaps with more of a, I can see why it happens, even if the, the geek in me sort of shudders a little bit. Yeah, of course, it's all amplified by the fact that it's glorious summer's day at the moment in, in the UK, that's sort of the last couple of weeks. And so I've been taking these phones out and about into the sunshine. And of course, it's there very evident if something's not behaving up to par, as it were. But um, So what you're saying, Steve, is they should have launched it in the middle of winter. Absolutely, then I wouldn't have noticed. <laughs> um, before we finish the podcast, we must just get to a few apps of the week. Rafe, I know you've been playing with something, uh, a Kobo. 
That's right. This is one of the ebook services is out there. I think a lot of people in the UK and elsewhere in Europe will be familiar with this, and perhaps some other markets as well. It's kind of the alternative version of Amazon Kindle, and it's actually become more important recently because Sony's ebook platform, the Sony Reader platform, is now also converted over to Kobo. And if you've got a, a Kobo device, uh, and it's just like the Amazon Kindle says, sort of various versions. There's an e-ink version. There's also a, a tablet version so akin to the Amazon Fire. And I don't want to call it the cheap version of the, you know, the Amazon Kindle ecosystem because I don't think it is. There's actually good reasons why you might choose Kobo if you don't want to be part of that whole huge Amazon uh, infrastructure and logistics. Some people don't want to be in that ecosystem, especially the the way they've been treating some publishers and authors recently. But this is now available for Windows Phone. So the great thing is you can be reading on your Kobo device and then you can switch to your Windows Phone device and access the same content. In terms of, you know, the app, it, it's been done reasonably well. I wouldn't say, you know, it's the world's best implemented app, but honestly, you can get to the content quickly. You know, you can buy content on the go and you get the same kind of previews. I mean, there's 4 million titles on the Kobo store, so pretty unlikely you won't be able to find something to read. It, you know, it has live tiles that you can pin to the start screen so you can get reading quickly. So there's actually a lot to be said about this. And, you know, Kobo do a good job of actually kind of floating uh, free content to the surface as well. Something that is available on Kindle, but perhaps not so obvious. So, you know, I, I really like this. And it, it, just like uh, the Kindle, it does have the sync between devices. So you can start on reading on one, continue on another one. You're commuting on the train and when you get back, over next evening you're reading in bed you can do that on your kind of dedicated reading device so i'm really pleased to see this arrive on on windows phone probably won't surprise anyone to know that i have actually got a, a copo device and therefore i've been looking out for this one for a little while yeah do we have an app of the week cancellation service rave because last week you mentioned the pinterest quote app i think you were even although you were quite quite negative about it you were you were too kind it is i looked into this pinterest thing for the flow story on the site and the pinterest app on windows phone is literally the mobile website that they have made absolutely zero interest so can i can you please cancel your previous recommendation well i think i recall saying that it was a negative app of the week and okay it was right. just a, a, a wrapper app and i agree with you i mean i was a bit horrified I've since had another go at it. i can't believe i even gave it the airtime to say it's rubbish um <laughs> You know, these web view apps, I mean, there's nothing wrong with putting a web view in a mobile app. Don't get me wrong. Sometimes it makes a lot of sense. I mean, in something like, you know, the Facebook app where you're wanting to read content that's been posted onto your stream, uh, fine, absolutely. Uh, but it shouldn't be kind of an excuse to launch an app wrapper. I mean, because honestly, why not just pin the uh, Pinterest mobile site to your start screen and you can actually create quite nice bits of you know, JavaScript that make that really easy to happen now. And actually, it can often have more functionality because you can tie it into an RSS feed and things like that. So you're absolutely right to, to say nasty things about Pinterest. And I really wish they'd made a bit more of an effort. But can I um, perhaps uh, give something back to the listeners by saying uh, there's a, another transport app. Sadly, it's not uh, City Mapper, which I'd really like to say had arrived on Windows Phone, but this is uh, Move It. It's available for about 300 different cities. Uh, it looks like it's using a lot of the similar data to the uh, Nokia Transit or the Here Transit app, uh, but it does give you kind of an alternative UI and it may have something over and above that you like. Um, it, it does also have the advantage that it provides static maps for a lot of cities. Uh, I like that because quite a lot of the time I'm quite happy to make my own planning decisions about 
uh, where to go and what changes to make but i just need to be able to access that information quickly and easily and you know, while you'll probably have it for your home city i certainly have a, a london tube app installed on my phone if i'm in a, a strange city i don't always have access to that easily uh, so you can download it from the windows phone store sounds a bit like a cow because it's moo and vit um, so search for that in the windows phone <laughs> store it's a, a free download Okay, and one final app of the week. We'll put links to all of these in the show notes. Um, for me, Sentiment Cards. It's spelled slightly unusually, Send Timent Cards, but it's been around for a while, but keeps getting updated with topical um, card packs. Now, I've, I've noticed on some other mobile platforms, Rafe, similar applications where you choose from a, a range of topical template, card templates, you add your message, and you then send it off electronically by email or text message or by social social media or so on. And they were actually charging, and like, in, you know, a, a a fee for a pack of 10 cards. This is this just sending bits around the world. So sentiment cards does it right for Windows Phone. You pay a, a small fee to buy the application up front, which is great. And then they keep on adding to it. And I just I mention it in particular because they've just added a Brazil World Cup theme pack. So basically, it's got about 20 or so Brazil <laughs> World Football themed cards. You pick the one you want. You add the message of your choice. You send it electronically to the person of your choice. And no money need change, change hands. And it's, it's quite well done. It's obviously a labor of love for the developer. And I'm very keen to support it. So uh, highly recommended. Excellent. Thanks for that uh, app recommendation. I'm going to finish off the show by just uh, getting people excited about the Lumia 930, at least in the UK. While, as we said at the top of the show, there isn't actually any information about kind of pre-orders or availability. We can tell you that people who do pre-order it in the UK are going to get uh, a wireless speaker with it. They're also going to get two wireless chargers, both the DT900 and the DT601. That's basically the kind of oblong one plus the round one uh, which is kind of a pretty good offer and those free goodies are worth maybe 150 175 pounds that's with all pre-orders but also in the uk every lumia 930 sold will actually come with a dt610 uh, wireless charger because we've talked about in the past how we really like the chi wireless charging but it only kind of you know really takes off if you've got the accessories to go with it and with the 920 a lot of retailers kind of did a package deal where they gave away a free wireless charger that's happened a couple of times since, but it's going to happen again with the 930. And I keep saying to people, especially uh, if you use multiple devices, you really notice this. If you're using a non-Qi enabled device, it's kind of annoying having to plug it back in. You know, if you start, you start using it, you really enjoy it. And so I think a lot of Lumi 930 users who haven't had Qi before and might not have uh, you know, splashed out on getting an extra accessory are going to find that it will be in the box or included as a bundle with their phone. So uh, something just to whet your appetite for the arrival of the Lumia 930. Well, I didn't know that, so I guess that qualifies as breaking news. And I guess, Rafe, if we stay on air to keep on covering breaking news, we're never going to finish the blessed podcast. We should say goodbye there. We should we should say goodbye there. Uh, and thank everyone for listening. As usual, we love getting your feedback. You can email us, reach us on Twitter or any of the other social channels. So I guess it only remains for me to say thank you very much to my co-host, Steve, and leave him to sign off for this week. Yes, catch us all about windowsphone.com and we'll try and keep up our weekly regular schedule. See you next time.